The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. hope you found your nice uh, comfy chair and your nice cup of coffee. Um, what, a, what a privilege and a pleasure it is to, um, well, to be on your screen on Sunday morning. I uh, hope you've had a good week. hope you're well. Uh, we are um, going to sit down and, and talk through God's Word this morning. Uh, we are, if you've been with us before, we're working through uh, 2 Timothy. Um, and we've got a bit of work to do. I've got to be honest with you. It's a bit of a warning this morning. And um, yeah, I thought we might pray um, just before we start and we'll get into it. Dear God, we just, um, we just thank you. We thank you that in the midst of all the things that are happening in the world, we think of what's happening in Afghanistan. We just think about the COVID world we live in. We just thank you for the privilege that we get to meet, um, even though it's online. Uh, we get to hear from you and hear from your word. And we pray that you would speak powerfully this morning um, in your name. Um, amen. Well, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to in seasons of difficulty and in suffering? When you're asking the question, where is God? Who is God? When you're in the wilderness of life, um, the life is hard and there are many difficult and challenging things that get brought upon us. There's incredible joys as well. Um, and this passage deals with some really difficult and tricky stuff, some very human stuff. Um, and we're, we're right in the heart of 2 Timothy here where Paul is speaking to his mentor and his dear friend, um, who's in ministry um, in Ephesus. And it's incredible to think that in seasons of life, God brings the right people in at the right time to share his voice, to speak into the life situations that we are faced with. Um, and maybe that's your story. Um, and, and today we're going to get a bit of a window into the Apostle Paul um, in his incredible last letter um, to Timothy. Now, the context here is these guys are great friends. In fact, Paul and Timothy have been ministering together for a number of years. Uh, they've been on the road, they've been travelling, uh, they've been talking and chewing over faith and ministry and, and the beauty of what it is to know and love and be loved by Christ. Um, and it's incredible friendship. And the passage here gives us a window, in a sense, to Paul's pastoral heart. And he's speaking these incredible truths in difficult seasons because right now in the context of the passage that we're in, Timothy is, has planted a church um, in Ephesus. Um, that's where he sits at the moment. And right now, Paul is writing. And he's speaking, maybe for the very, very last time, he's in a prison in Rome. And he knows that probably his time is short-lived here on this earth. And he writes these incredible words to Timothy. And so this morning, as we, as we walk through it, um, either side of the passage of, of 2 Timothy 3, as we just read before, Gareth read to us, um, there's incredible, incredible passage about um, loving people and drawing people into the church. And there's an incredible passage after um, the beginning of, of chapter 3, where Paul's actually talking about ministry and faith and, and the model that he sets for following Christ. But right here, right now, we're talking about the challenges of ministry. We're talking about the challenges of living for Christ. We're talking about the challenges of the local church that it faces. Now, in the world that we live in today, we can kind of think about the challenges that might come upon ministry in two ways, the outside in and the inside out. What I mean by that kind of broadly is the, the local church, the church and the gospel often throughout history there are times where there is incredible persecution that gets poured on the local church. I mean, even right now as we speak, I mean, the things that are happening in Afghanistan and in the Middle East, um, incredible persecution from, from government, from, from warring nations, um, and for, the, for religions that would seek to oppress and, and pull down the work of the gospel. And the persecution that's happening for Afghanistan at the moment is, is an incredible, incredible season that's happening for them over there. And as a church, you know, I would just encourage us, we should be praying for the persecuted church, the Middle East and Afghanistan at the moment. Um, so maybe afterwards, a moment to pause and consider them. Um, 
would just be an incredible a gift to them, I think. So outside in and inside out. And this passage here is really talking more about the inside out, talking about how people and movements take place within the church. And they seek to pull it down. They seek to get the gospel off track and see, seem to make the church less and weak. Um, and that's where we are um, this morning. So as you open up your Bibles with us now, um, we're just going to have a bit of a look through. And I'm going to read you... Um, Our first first verse here in chapter 3, it says, Mark this, there will be terrible times uh, in the last days. Now, it's important to pause here just for a second and kind of consider terrible times in the last days. What do these last days even mean? Now, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. um, And if you were to kind of search the Bible more broadly, it is considered that across biblical history, um, that the last days kind of take place between the death and resurrection of Jesus all the way up until the return of Jesus that is yet to happen that great hope and that great promise that our Saviour will come back and meet us and we'll meet him face to face. Now, many of us will meet Jesus in death and many of us, who knows, might meet him on his return. But right now, with these last days are considered anywhere from Jesus' death and resurrection um, to his return, which means that Paul's speaking to Timothy, he's speaking to us because we are still in these last days. And he goes on. Um, He goes on and he says, people. I just want to pause there for a second, people. You know, when we talk about life and ministry, some of the best things in life take place with people, with family and with community. And some of the most challenging and most difficult things in life take place with people, with family and with community. You know, the local church is full of people. People like me, people like you. Church is made up of people. And Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's saying, in your ministry, in your season of ministry that you're in now, there are going to be really difficult times because church is full of people. And our churches should absolutely be full of all types of people, a spectrum of people, the the sort of people that Jesus ministered to and loved in his time here on earth. The weak, the poor, the disadvantaged, the, the, the seekers that want to know about faith but aren't sure, the outcast, the outliers, the people, the rich, the poor, people in different financial brackets, people of different ethnicities, uh, people of different cultures, even people of different faiths. In fact, the local church should be an expression of anyone and everyone, a big open wide door. Come and sit with God's people and look at the majesty of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has saved us from. See, the local church is for the saved and for the unsaved. And it's in this context that Paul's speaking to Timothy um, and he gives him this incredible warning. Verse 2, it says this, that in the last times that there will be a spirit of the age. A spirit of the age is the the idea of what the age is doing, what the current cultural climate would be. And in the last age, he goes on to describe what some of these things might be. Let me just read it to you. And as we walk through it, I want you to kind of consider two things. In the spirit of the age, there are people that will live inside of our church that will not be a part of the gospel community. They They will not love and know Jesus. That will, as it goes on to say later on in the passage, that they might have the appearance of godliness, but they don't have the power, the saving work of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power that God gives us as Christians. There are going to be people in our communities that, that are not saved. And that's great, but it also is an incredible challenge to us as there will be times and seasons in the last days where the unsaved will seek to look like God's people but not be of God's people. And they'll seek to bring down, pull down and destroy the gospel. Let's have a look at what the spirit of the age looks like. It says, verse 2, They will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, 
unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness, but they deny its power. You know, Paul's outlining here a genuine, a genuine warning to the, to the local church. Um, and as we walk through these things, I want you to kind of consider two things. There's two ways to look at the passage of this little list here. There are things that are happening in a person's heart that we cannot see. And there are things that flow out of a person's heart that we can see. And the way that we discern the spirit of the age and our community is really important that as we safeguard the gospel and the mission of the local church. Um, so let's walk through it here. Verse 2. <clears throat> To verse 5, there is a list of 18 items, 19 traits that, that uh, are categorised categorized here. There are sense vices, okay, things that can really grip the heart and lead someone off track. Um, here we go. Uh, let's walk through them here. Right, the first four depicts selfishness. Okay, there will, people, uh, there will be people that will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful and proud. Okay, they're not looking outwardly to God and how they can help and love and encourage others. It's all about me. The spirit of the age is me, 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 right? Christ has called us to lay down our lives and serve and love all the community around us that we might share the love of of Jesus through our actions, okay? The next one, it says aggressive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. You know, these first two outline an outward behavior of combative, disapproval, right? Pushing against authority, and really disobedient and aggressive. Right, the next four, right, in terms of the spirit of the age, are considered a, a group of the uns, right? There's God's fruits of the spirit. The depravity and the lack of the fruit of the spirit looks like this. Okay, they're ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. This is the spirit of the age. Okay, this is what, this is what we should be looking for and, and making sure that we are aware of to safeguard the local church. Slanderous, with. Um, slanderous, without self-control, right? People that would rather pull down than build up. People that would want to say things in a moment and not appreciate the words that are said and spoken, how they can actually pull down and destroy people's lives further down the track. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And finally, the key to the passage here, having the form of godliness, yet they deny its power. That's like... It's a full-on list of what is described, Paul's describing here, is the spirit of the age. There's there's two ways we can lean, right, when we hear this this list. You might lean into it and kind of think, oh my gosh, that basically describes everything about me. (laughs) Right, that's me, right? I I believe I'm a Christian, but that's me. I've got all these vices wrapped up inside of me, right? And maybe you've read ahead where, where Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with them. Right, that's one way to lean. The other way to lean is to kind of think, I'm so glad that we have none of these types of people in our church. I'm so glad right, that our preacher doesn't sound anything like that. I'm so glad that our local communities and our local churches right, are not described by anything like this, this description here of vices or spirit of the age that might infiltrate the church. Well, let's be honest. There is a little bit of all of this in us. If we're being really honest... Right, none of us are, are innocent of all of these traits all the time. You know, if, the, if we're honest, a lot of these things describe who we are. You know, this is a massive warning to us, and, and, and Paul says, have nothing to do with them. And if that were true, have nothing to do with them, and we feel challenged by that, the church would be empty, right? 
Christian, non-Christian, the, the Christian, the church would be empty. Right? But there's a really important distinction to make here between these vices and spirit of the age. Right? So there's a distinction here between believers growing in holiness right, and conviction that leads to change, that leads to gospel transformation by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? as opposed to the, the spirit of, of the age in which there is no sense of repentance and remorse, no sense of, of changed attitude. Right, that that the, the Holy Spirit gives to a believer. Right, the warning here, right, it's the same warning that God gives to, to Cain in Genesis 4. Now, if you know the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, <clears throat> Cain actually killed his brother Abel. He had bitterness and pride took over in him, or to the point where he actually killed his own brother. And God said these words to him. God says to Cain before he did this, he said, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. And this is the same warning that God gives to us here today. It's a confronting list. It's a confronting list. Because on one hand, if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to say that these vices, this list, can very much speak to the flawed nature that lives within us. Right? Some of us really struggled with the disciplined life. Some of us struggle to control our tongue and what we say and how we speak. Some of us just can't submit to authority, any authority. We're too arrogant, too proud, too stubborn. You know, some of us live a very apathetic spiritual life where we would prefer comfort and ease and the pleasures of life rather than living a sacrificial life for Christ to make his name known. And what small cost that is, the incredible eternal value and worth that it is to know and love him. Instead, we choose spiritual apathy. Yeah, it's all good. Now, some of us are ungrateful, unforgiving, obstinate. In fact, you know, the buzz thing at the moment in leadership circles, the Myers-Briggs or Adiagram, you know, if you do any of these things, you know, we all have these leanings. You know, the warning here And the great call of the gospel is that if we're brave enough, if we're really brave, that we would hold up God's word as a mirror to us and that we would see ourselves for who we could become. You know, these vices live deep within inside of our hearts. And no one is better at deceiving ourselves than we are. Very, very good at deceiving ourselves. You know, but we've got to take the warning seriously because sin is crouching at the door. And if we aren't careful... Without carefully listening to the Spirit's conviction to deal with sin by God's grace alone, these vices will rule over us, as opposed to God giving the strength to rule over these vices and the sin that can easily derail us, derail us, derail our faith, derail the mission of the church. You know, the warning here rests even in Psalm 139. It says this, Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, it's the humility to ask God to examine our own heart and the call to repentance, faith, and obedience that comes from a transformed, spirit-filled life that in fact demonstrates the very power that these verses show a lack of of in the people of the spirit of the the age. Right, this list describes someone that is selfish and ungodly. You know, Paul instructs God Paul instructs Timothy to have nothing to do with them. But they don't have the very power to actually be called into repentance, to turn to Jesus. 
You know, there's no search me, God, and know me. There's no, there's no faith. There's no repentance. There's no obedience. There's no Holy Spirit to set the believer apart from the unbeliever. You know, in those, you know, altogether, these people that manifest the spirit of the age, they have the outward show of religiosity. They say the right things. They do the right things. But they do not have the transforming knowledge of the power of Jesus Christ. And to be honest, they may not even desire it. That categorizes the spirit of the age. And this is what's so hard about ministry. It's what's so hard for, for Kyle and the local church. Because there are people that do not want to see the gospel go forward. And would destroy it, divert it, pull down, break, destroy will just lead us slowly but slowly off track. We need God's grace to check ourselves and check our community. However, as these verses um, are a warning to believer, um, in verse 5 it clearly says that in the form of godliness they deny its power. You see, the spirit of the age, there are people that when we outwardly present the transformed life, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. And how do you assess that? I mean, how do you even assess character? How do you assess the spirit of the age that might live inside me or you or us? How do we make sure the spirit of the age doesn't get involved and, and, and mess up the beautiful message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel? Well, character is assessed in community. Character is assessed in community. The Christian life is not a solo life. It's not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in community. You know, all through Scripture, God calls his people to live in community. This passage is not only a warning to examine our own hearts, but it's, it's an exaltation to live together, honest, genuine gospel community, where we build relationships, where we can keep each other in check, where we can be accountable, right? where we can talk through and chew through the, the deep implications of faith in every aspect of our lives. We can do it prayerfully. Right? Each age needs to work out, how do I apply the gospel in this cultural moment that we live in now? And we do it with humility and we do it with grace and we pray and we ask questions and we read and we discuss and we meditate. We've got to keep challenging ourselves as a community because character is assessed in community. Character is assessed in community. Now, it's very hard to assess character through a screen. And the irony of that is we live in a screen world. Screen's world. No more than COVID era that we're currently living in. Right, not ideal, but I'm preaching today through a camera. Right, but a gift. Right, technology is a gift. I mean, just think about the idea. I mean, we couldn't be doing this. Even like two or three or four years ago, it would have been challenging um, to use technology in a way that we can share the word even more powerfully. Um, we can now because of technology age that we live in. If you walk through... Um, in verse, we have a little look here in verse, verse 6. He says this, There are all kinds who will worm their way into people's homes to gain control. Again, the next warning Paul lays out for Timothy. He's posing the question, who do you let into your home? Who do you let into your space, into your heart, into your head? Right? We have a very confusing world. Right, in the, in the technology age, you can listen to any sermon anywhere in the world, right, if they upload it. 
You can listen to any variation of gospel truth, any ministry platform, any variation of doctrine. In fact, you could pretty much find any version of the Christian faith, any version of it, any difference, any nuance. You can find it online somewhere. And it's an incredible blessing to be able to listen to some of the most gifted speakers around the world right, that really have something to say. But with that comes a warning. Now, we've got to be gatekeepers. We've got to be wise. Paul says to Timothy here, right, be wary of the kind of people that you let into your home and in our cultural context, right? The way we let people into our home often is through technology, the podcasts, the sermons, the conversations, right? Who are we letting into our home? You know, it's an incredible blessing to have technology. I just think about the millions of people around the world that we can share the gospel with online. And if you're listening around the world, you're most welcome, right? Absolutely love having you with us here engaging with online church. It's an absolute blessing. But there's a warning here. This is the warning that, that Paul is giving to Timothy. Who are you letting into your home? Because no one speaks to you more than you do. Right? The narrative that you let into your mind, the narrative that you let into your heart about what truth is, right, is shaped by what you let in. Right? Those two little buds are powerful. Powerful influence. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's never been easier and it's never been harder to stay connected in the COVID era. Right? Community is where we find out about character. You know, the challenge of living for Jesus in community in the COVID era is how do we stay connected? How do we do real community? Right at the start of COVID, I must admit, I, I love the idea of doing church online at home. Didn't have, to, didn't have to get out of bed as early. Didn't have to wrangle the kids, sort out breakfast. Right, I oh, forgot the bag. We've got to go back, drive back in the driveway. Right, we need fuel. We've got to get there. Right. I must admit, it's a bit of a mission to get to church on Monday morning with two little kids, right? I'm sure some of you can appreciate that. And so there's something nice about having to do church at home, right? My favourite pants, my favourite chair, my favourite coffee, right? Beautiful. But there's a sense over time, though, I don't know if you felt it, but there's, it has a sort of an almost not yet kind of feel. It has sort of an almost but not quite online church. And I don't want to downplay it because we're probably going to be doing this, I don't know, potentially weeks, months, years maybe, I don't know. But there is something beautiful about gathering with God's people when you have the opportunity to sing the songs together, to worship together, to encourage each other, to shake someone's hand, to welcome someone new into the space. You know, church online, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to stay connected and it's a challenge not just to be a consumer. It's easy to consume, easy to take in, take in, take in. Right, but God calls us to be a part of community. That's how we grow and are shaped together around God's word. Got to be careful what we consume. We've got to be careful that we reach out and connect. Whatever the season is, that whatever the opportunities the season gives to us. Even if it's just ticking the prayer tab on church online or whether it's meeting in a life group under whatever the conditions are that have been given to us by the government. Got to keep reaching out. Got to keep finding a way to connect. Um, as we track through the passage, right, this passage is a series of warnings that Paul's giving to Timothy. He goes on. There are all kinds who work their way into church to gain control over weak-willed women. They're loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Now, it's really important to stop and just pause and consider here that what Paul is not saying. Paul's not saying that women are the problem. Paul's not saying that women are weak-willed vessels. Paul's not saying, right, that women should have unequal rights to the gospel like men do, right, in a, very, in a cultural landscape in which was a very male-dominated, driven world. 
right? Paul's not saying those things against women, but Paul, what Paul is saying, and the big overarching idea is there are vulnerable within our community, and it's not women. In fact, if you go back to 1 Timothy, Paul himself is even ushering in a season of which women should be um, educated and matured and grown up in the faith. And we need women in gospel ministry, both professionally, right, and, and with, amongst the people, both lay workers and on the books. You know, we need women in ministry, leading and, and worshipping and fellowshipping and, and teaching our community, absolutely. So Paul's not having a crack at women here, but what he is doing is he's talking about the vulnerable within community. And in this community here, there was a subset of women, and culturally speaking, women were not given the opportunity to have Bible learning and teaching. They were, in fact, more broadly, they weren't given an opportunity to learn and mature and given academic access. And so here Paul is actually saying they are vulnerable. And in this context, these women were vulnerable. And the spirit of the age, the false teachers, the false preachers come in, they find the vulnerable, and they push and they squeeze and they manipulate. And the role of the local church, as Paul's instructing Timothy here, is we've got to look out after the vulnerable. I mean, who are the vulnerable in our age? You know, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you don't know what you don't know, half-truths sound great. If you're in poverty, right, prosperity sounds really good. Right? And if you're in pain and you're suffering... Okay, if you're, if, you're, if you're sick, of course you want healing. And we know through scripture, Jesus spent the bulk of his time healing people. Well, we know God can heal. And God asks us to have faith that God can heal, but he doesn't always do that. When it comes to healing, when it comes to raising people out of poverty, sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a not yet. But the false teachers and false doctrine that come in and, and espouse prosperity doctrine if you have faith it'll absolutely work and if you don't have enough faith it's on you it's your sin right that's crippling that's crippling right so often the false teachers and doctrine of the time uses and manipulates okay those that are vulnerable and paul himself you know paul himself cried out paul himself cried out to god he himself in in second corinthians um one to eight he says therefore in order to keep me from being conceited I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes poverty, sometimes healing is a yes. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a not yet. The great hope of the gospel message is Jesus is going to come back, and when he does... He's going to destroy sin. He's going to destroy pain. He's going to destroy poverty. He's going, to, he's going to destroy sickness. He's going to restore and bring healing to all those that put their faith and trust in him. You know, half-truths aren't good enough. We've got to be careful. We've got to care for our vulnerable, care for our weak, care for those that maybe don't know what they don't know. You know, he moves on here, right, as he... As he walks through the passage here, he actually pulls out two guys. Right, he pulls out two guys, Janice and Jombre. Right, they kind of sound like a poor man's Guzman and Gomez. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, these old mates are a bit of a throwback to the Old Testament. Um, and if you, be, know the, if you know the Exodus story, okay, all the way back in Exodus, okay, God raised up two godly men right, that had the real power and spirit of the gospel living within them. Right? It just wasn't just the facade, it was the truth of the gospel. He raised them up and he said, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, to bring them out of the exile, exile them, to bring them out of, of Egypt. 
And the story goes that, um, that Moses and Aaron sat before Pharaoh and he did this incredible thing where he laid down his staff, you remember the story, and turned into a snake. And Pharaoh called upon these two old mates over here, Janice and John Bray, to come up and actually do the same thing. And they threw down their staff and that turned into a snake. And all of a sudden, Moses and Aaron go to the, go to the Nile and they scoop up a bit of water and it turns into blood. Right? They're demonstrating God's power right, over the world that he constructed, that he is in control. And Janice and John Bray do exactly the same thing. These are the, the two magicians right, that Pharaoh's calling upon right, to call out and show how God is, 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 a, is a fake and a phony. Right, he does it again. He calls frogs out and they do exactly the same thing. You know, but their party tricks are short-lived. Their power, very quickly, is shown to be um, an absolute facade. Because God in his strength and his mercy, right, as you know, he brings upon the plagues of Egypt. He calls God's people out of Egypt. He takes them across the Red Sea and he takes them faithfully across to the Promised Land. You see, Janice and Jombre here, you know, these guys have got a couple of party tricks. You know, they've got a kind of a smoke and mirrors, uh, miracles and wonders kind of routine happening here. You know, but it's it, over time, the false preachers, the false doctrine, the false power, as it says in verse 5, you know, they have the appearance of godliness, but they don't have its power. Now, Paul's leading us here to say, you know, we would be careful about movements, about celebrity preachers, about, about things that we can get excited about, maybe new movements and new ideas. But if they're not centered on the truth of the gospel, see, God's interested in character, gospel character that's refined over time, the deep well of the power that he reforms. He wants to change us and mold us and make us into something more beautiful like his son Jesus. That's the great power of the gospel. It's working inside of us, changing you and changing me. It's the power that these two guys, these two magicians, Janice and John, had no power. They had the illusion of it, but they didn't have the indwelling spirit, the power that Moses and Aaron had. That's what he's saying. He's calling them out. You know, he goes on. He says, but they will, have very, but they will not get very far because they chase, uh, because as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear for everyone to see. You know what stands at the end days? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What doesn't stand? Fake truths, half-truths, things that deviate us from the truth of who God is. You know, I was kind of reading this and I was just thinking, how did Jesus do it? You know, how did he do it? How did he live with Judas? I mean, Jesus had this incredible, incredible calling on his life. For the foundation of the world, God the Fun, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they make this plan for redemptive history, right? Jesus leaves heaven, comes down, walks and lives among us a perfect life, goes to the cross, dies for our sin. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin, these vices, right? He sees the holiness that's been given to us. And our belief in him and trust in him. You know, he's given, God has given this incredible mission to Jesus, this incredible calling, and yet inside that calling, Jesus actually has got his own little idea. He's got his own little calling that he's doing. He's actually building 12 men. He's calling 12 men that when he goes, he's going to give the Holy Spirit that the church can go forth to all the nations, Jew and Gentile, all across time and history, that the gospel would go forth. So God gives Jesus this incredible, this incredible calling on his life to go to the cross. And yet inside that, Judas, Judas walks with him. It's incredible. Jesus pours his life out for these 12 disciples. He, he eats with them. He drinks with them. He ministers to them. He loves them. He journeys with them. He spends time. He pours his life into them. 
And it's inside his ministry that we see Judas. Now, I don't know how, he, how Judas was called in the sense of his own heart, whether he was drawn into the wonder and majesty of who Jesus was, whether he was a believer from the outset, I don't know. But over time, what we do know is slowly but surely he, he drifted. Right? Like when you go to the coast, you go for a swim in between the flags, having a great time, you look up, you realise you are a long, long way from the flags. Right, Judas, you live with Jesus. But as he drifted, he drifted so far to a point where he was willing to sell out his saviour for 30 pieces of silver. How do you get there? How does that happen? And Jesus knows this. Jesus is journeying with him. The incredible story of Jesus dying on the cross is that he never lost sight of his mission. He never lost sight of the calling on his life. Even from the evil world inside, even from the inside out, right? There was a, a demonic plague to bring down the calling that Jesus had been given to save the world. He stayed true, and this is what Paul is saying to Timothy, to stay true to your calling. Now, how did Jesus do it? He prayed. That's why he's up early in the morning and he's up late at night. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying to God the Father for strength, for true power. Not the illusion of power, true power to stay the course. He's praying to God the Father in the Spirit. He's living in community. That's God's community. That's Jesus' community here on earth. Dwelling, dwelling with the Trinity to gain power, to, to fulfill the calling on his life. You know, this warning that Paul gives us here to Timothy... It's an incredible warning that if we're to assess character, if we're to assess ourselves, we've got to stay in community, keep drawing back to God's word and the power that comes from the gospel. You know, if, if we're going we're to stand, stand firm as a church and make sure the spirit of the age, right, whether it's persecution from the outside in or whether it's from the inside out, we've got to hold true to what is true. We've got to sort that out in community with God's strength and his grace leading us, teaching us, shaping us by his word. We do that together. You know, I think Colin picked up on it a couple of weeks ago. The book gives us a window into a mentor, Paul, pouring into his, his protege, Timothy. You know, if, if that's you, if you're living the Christian life and you don't have someone pouring into you, I, I just encourage you to pray. Pray for a Paul in your life. And if, if, you're, if you're walking faithfully with, Lord and you, with the Lord and you're not pouring yourself into somebody else to pass that gospel baton on, right? The baton of ministry and Christian leadership on. Maybe it's time to pray that God will bring some people around you that you could pour into. You know, Paul's calling Timothy to, to stay the course stay true to his calling, to keep finding that his grace and his power in the love of Jesus and the gospel message. And given all the things that are happening in the world at the moment, COVID, Afghanistan, even just the local church, you know, ministry is hard when you're dealing with people. It's a warning here, it's an encouragement to keep praying, praying for our local church, our church, praying for the local churches, what God's doing in Australia and across the world. Keep praying, keep praying. God's shaping us. Now, the work he starts in us, he will bring to completion. It's an incredible promise. How about I pray for us? We'll finish up our time. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. 
We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.